0: It used to be hard to find the exact auto parts you needed, and that meant spending a lot of time at swap meets. It's a different game now when you can order exactly what you need from eBay Motors. They have 122 million parts, so you can always find the right fitment. Spend less time searching and more time building with the eBay Motors app or visit ebaymotors.com.
1: Let's ride. Golfing and more. Invest in yourself with tech made to crush goals. Holidays open up with Galaxy. Shop it all at Samsung.com. 5G connection and availability may vary. Check with Carrier. Products sold separately.
0: Hey everyone, this is the Almost World Podcast. (laughs) Bringing to you mind blowing interviews with guests from all over the world. Settle down, relax, and enjoy the show. Oh yeah, by the way, if you like the podcast, please support Elmo's World Podcast on Patreon. Your support is what helps the podcast improve more and more. Welcome to Elmo's World Podcast. This is Elmo other Jr., your host, and I, I'm with my friend, Cafe, and he's on Facebook, he's not, his name is in it. Uh but he's been on uh, a lot of great shows. Hey, man, can you introduce yourself?
2: Yeah, Cafe, or Jimmy is my real name, uh, you know, I've, yeah, I've called into shows like, the, uh, in the ACA, like The Atheist Experience, Talk Even, Truth Wanted, um, I've... Uh, pretty much an autodidact uh, in religious and philosophical studies. Um, I've always been interested in these topics ever since I was uh, a teenager. Uh, but uh, more recently, uh, I guess over the past decade, I've become really immersed in these topics after having um, a, a so-called mystical experiences, they refer to it in Johns Hopkins studies, but I'm sure we'll get into it. Um, I don't Mm -hmm. know if you want me to add in anything more than that.
0: Okay, cool. Uh, So, can I ask you what you believe in terms of God, right? Because that's the whole, that's the biggest question when it comes to these discussions online. Where do you stand on that, bro?
2: Yeah, well, when I was growing up, I was uh, what a lot of these uh, atheists call themselves agnostic atheists. You know, a lot of them will identify as agnostic, basically meaning that they don't know for sure whether God exists or not, but they nevertheless disbelieve. And I pretty much identified with that until maybe my early 20s when I got introduced to uh, Terence McKenna. Uh, Mm. Terence McKenna, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he was a psychedelic advocate during the 60s all the way through the 90s. He died in 2000, but he advocated what he called the heroic dose of psychedelic mushrooms and mm-hmm. that's uh, it's a, a, a dose range that is pretty high. Uh, it's supposed to be uh, what he considers to for people to have the full spectrum of, of effects of the psychedelic. And I heard about that when I was about nineteen. I didn't get around to it till I was about twenty-three.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, I finally found someone who had a connection. I bought the amount that they referred to, that Terence recommended, the five dried grams, and uh, I had an experience that you know a lot of the modern studies in psychedelics refer to as a complete mystical experience.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: I'm not sure, sure if you ever looked into the neuroscience of religion. Uh, you know, it's spelled out very elaborately in there. Like they've had uh, decades worth of studies that define these states, and all the way back to the work of William James in the early 1900s. So. Um, You know, they list six criteria, and, I, I, you know, if you go through all six criteria, uh, if a volunteer in their study meets all six criteria, uh, certain criteria on all six of these characteristics, they're deemed to have had a so-called complete mystical experience, and I pretty much identified with all six. I could list them for you if you'd like, (laughs) (laughs) but... um, they're, you know, they're all part of that research, and I, I, you know, I'll definitely leave some links here or wherever you post the, the podcast that, uh, towards that research. But yeah, it was that experience that um, launched me into uh, studying comparative religion, and I eventually found my way to the perennial philosophy, which is uh, what they advocate in the research, Mm -hmm. Uh, or they kind of compare and they define these mystical experiences in accordance with. Uh, And I don't know if you ever heard of this, the perennialist view, but basically it's a perspective on the major religions where they see these types of mystical experience at the very core of the major religions so that uh, in Christianity you have the beatific vision or the direct revelation of the Holy Spirit, or you have uh, theoria. Uh, You have these terms that refer to uh, these divine visions. And, and you can find them riddled throughout um, every major religion. Uh, in, you know, in Judaism, it's referred to as Sekhil uh, Mufla. Uh, it's referred to as Fana in Islam or Nirvana in Buddhism, Samadhi in Hinduism, Wu uh, Wei in Taoism. Uh, each of the major religions has a term to refer to these highly desired uh, spiritual states of awareness. And you know, I had no idea that any of this existed if I hadn't experienced it. For myself, Uh, and that's what these uh, researchers are claiming—that these experiences that mystics have described over millennia, uh, they can induce in a laboratory with a single high dose of a psychedelic. It's it's the one and the same experience. They see no distinction between them, and of course, they don't. They're not too sure how the early mystics were able to access them. I mean, there's now. I don't know if you're familiar with Brian Metodescu. I think, I'm probably butchered in his name, but he's been on CNN and he's had a, he has a book on the origins of religions uh, talking about the possibility of, um, you know, the Eucharist may have been a psychedelic and so forth, the Soma of Hinduism, all these sacraments that the religion spoke of, um, the Kaikion in Greek uh, mythology may have been uh, some sort of a psychedelic they were taking so they're not too sure whether the early mystics had it through psychedelics or uh, maybe natural techniques as in hesychasm in Christianity, there's quietism there's certain um, contemplative uh, prayers that they practice to enter into these states and uh, there's research going on right now to ascertain whether uh, psychedelics were involved in the origins of the major religions but uh, I don't know. I I, I can elaborate more on that, but uh, I know I I didn't even go over like the six characteristics of the experience, but um, I don't know if you wanted to get into that, but I can definitely, like I said, I can list uh, the research, like peer-reviewed papers, anything uh, after the podcast. Uh, I don't know if you do that if you add links.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I do. But I want to ask you about the mystical experiences that you've had. Can you describe them and, you know, like can you differentiate them with just being you know the typical high you get from normal drugs
2: Ah, uh, okay yes okay so yeah that's why i kind of wanted to get into six characteristics because uh there is uh they do make a distinction in the research of uh, what they call visionary and archetypal experiences which can be very unique to the individual like for instance if you're a devout Christian, and you take uh, five five hundred grams of psychedelics, you're very likely to see, you know, Christ dying on a cross, or if you're a Hindu, you may see the Shiva, you know. Um, you may have a vision that's relative to you. When I had this experience, I wasn't very religious at all, and I saw, um, I saw a, a vision of Bill Hicks, the comedian, inside the trip. But uh, these, are, uh, the, these visionary states are said to occur v- right before or right after the height of the experience, which is what they call the complete mystical experience. And that's really what I wanted to refer to because at that point, um, it's no longer unique to the individual. Uh, in a way, people are all experiencing one and the same thing. Uh, it's a universal phenomenon in consciousness. And uh, when you get to that point, uh, they refer to it as a non-dual experience, meaning um, there's no longer like you speak to Jimmy or Cafe uh, and I speak to Elmo. You know, we have this uh, uh, impression that we're uh, the subject and object of the conversation. So, uh, you know, I, in your subjective experience, you objectively have, uh, you have this impression that you're speaking to me. Well, at the height of these states, um, that uh, subject-object duality no longer exists, it completely collapses. And so what people experience are real profound experiences of transcendence, what they might describe as transcendence of space and time. All time, will, all time, past and future, will collapse into the moment. You know, this is accompanied by a uh, uh, unity. This is the core feature emphasized in the complete mystical experience. It's an interconnectedness of all people and things. All is one or pure consciousness. There's also uh, sacredness or reverence that's uh, that accompanies this experience. Um, there's something what William James called the noetic quality of mystical, uh, mystical experience. It's a sense of encountering ultimate reality, as though you know the person uh, what they're experiencing is more real than uh, what they experience in their ordinary state of consciousness. Uh, you know, people will, will describe these experiences as the most real event in their lives. It's the most real thing they've experienced, bar none. You know, and this is invariably, invariably uh, expressed by the volunteers who meet criteria for the complete mystical experience. There's also deeply felt positive mood, universal love, joy, and peace. And, uh, you know, this is a profound, um, some people will just will go, of, Sam Harris uh, has had this experience with uh, MDMA and he described it as unconditional love. Uh, and it's very possible to have that. Uh, what the Christian with, in Christian um, theology is referred to as agape. Uh, it's the spiritual love of God that's not sexual in nature, but it's you know uh, it's as described in the Bible, uh, uh, ever forgiving, um, in, infinite, unconditional, so forth. Uh, that's one of the aspects of this experience. And then another one they add is ineffability and paradoxicality, meaning like one of the first things people say when they have this experience is they cannot possibly put it into words. You know, these are at the height of this experience, people are describing things which are in a way beyond language, beyond our very con- concept of time and space. Um, you know, they're transcendent. And and so they're kind of hard to talk about, but, you know, they're nevertheless, I mean, if you have one, you will ponder it unto death. Uh, they're very intriguing, and, and I think uh, they may be, From my perspective of having one of these experiences, maybe how a religion got generated in the first place by uh, individuals who had these types of experiences. If you consider Christ or Muhammad or Gautama, Siddhartha, the founder of Buddhism, and so forth. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. yeah. what, What I was trying to get at is these experiences are universal at the height. They are not unique.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of
2: people have a misconception that that you know people take they see the move they go to the movies and they see uh, people take mushrooms and they're going to see fairies fly or, or something like that you know it's a real it's a parody of what happens and no such thing takes place when you take psychedelics it's uh, so if you're watching movies you're going to be uh, I don't know kind of disappointed if you don't get stuff like that.
0: Mm-hmm. I see. So what you're saying basically is that. Um, the religious experiences and religion itself sources from the what we, f- I guess, experience when induced by drugs, right? Like, it's basically it.
2: Or, or it could be either... It could be psychedelics. One reason they uh, they speculate that uh, contemplation or deep meditation may get you there is because we produce DMT naturally. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever heard of DMT. It's uh, N,N-DMT is uh, abbreviated from uh, N,N-dimethyltryptamine. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's supposed to be a naturally occurring uh, psychedelic that we all possess, and it's the, one of the most powerful psychedelics on the planet. It's the reason, the whole reason why something like psilocybin in the mushroom affects the brain at all is because it resembles DMT. It resembles what's already inside of us. And so there's speculation that in the deep meditative states, that what these mystics or these yogis are doing is basically um, inducing. A, a burst of DMT that's in, from you know an endogenous uh, source of DMT, something that's produced within. So it's not something you experience all the time. It's not as though we're on DMT you know, at any part of the day. Uh, the only time you may have touched it in your life is mm-hmm. when you're in REM sleep at night. That's another place where they think mm-hmm. DMT may play a role and, mm-hmm. and in the near-death experience. So it's not something that happens frequently in the body, but it is something that the body does produce mm. and so uh, it may not be completely uh exclusive to the psychedelics but uh psychedelics do have the potential to induce those same uh, altered mm-hmm. states those yeah same mystical yeah
0: states well i'm getting a, a monist vibe from what you're saying here right like well you know when we as a uh, as human beings are induced by psychedelics and then naturally induced DMT. You know, you're you're it's like you're saying that there's a blueprint of of this oneness of consciousness that we we, we all already have. And so then God is this and I guess pantheist uh, God that we are all a part of, and and we are part of this collective consciousness. And we, when we transcend, this is what we, I guess, we realize. Uh, is that what you're saying?
2: Yeah, I, I, don't. Yeah, it's it is going towards you are, It is going towards that. Another way to put it is, uh, I, I've often said, like from the vantage point of perennialism or the perennial philosophy. Um, the highest mystical vision in any religion is one and the same. They are perceiving the same thing. I remember I spoke to you about my friend Max Freakout, uh, Mm -hmm. who has, uh, you know, he's uh, concerned with the ego death theory. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with eternalism or uh, what Einstein referred to as the block universe. But uh, if you consider that, you know, all matter, uh, all time is, is a predetermined, that it's all fixed in time, then from the point of the Big Bang to the point of the an- end scenario of the universe, whatever it may be, the big freeze or the big crunch, um, at every single point uh, is interlocked. Uh, um, they're interlocked in such a way that they're frozen, so that uh, from beginning to end, everything has already happened. In the very same way that a real film, like if you're recording a real film and you have a movie, the entire the entirety of the movie is already in the can, and yeah. you know so in a way, uh, it's there's
0: just a, this, there's uh, this one monad right, which is the universe, and we're we're all yeah, actually just yes, one exactly. thing.
2: Yeah, no, exactly. So, I uh, in the in, in the sides of mystical experience, what these mystics have the impression of is they no longer identify with the material body. You know, because they have a perception that's beyond that. It's transcendent of that. It sees the entire block universe, if you will. It it sees all time past and future collapse. They don't identify with the material body because they see mm-hmm. themselves in all things. And you know, they even refer to the original sin as um, in religion, the the idea that you're separate from uh, that you're you're a bodily entity that's separate from the rest of nature.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: so, if you have this perception of separateness then you can engage in sin you can steal from the other you can rape the other you could murder the other Mm -hmm. so on and so forth but the in the mystical vision they see all as one so when they return to the baseline of consciousness they they are like you and i you know they have this egoic impression of, of time and space but they no longer identify with the material body. They see mm-hmm. themselves one with all things, and therefore have, uh, uh, you know, compassion and love for all things.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And and so you have Christ as you know someone who a teacher who is attempting to teach these ways. I, I really, if such a person like Jesus Jesus Christ existed, I really believe he was someone who cultivated these experiences of unity of love, and he was trying to express them. But as so often in history is. Uh, Many mystics have tried to do this. Uh, They're often killed for attempting to, you know, uh, spread a message of unity. And uh, I think Plato had a a quote that says, um, no one is more hated than he who speaks truth. And, you know, you have the death of Martin Luther King, uh, JFK, you -hmm. have... Uh, so many people who've tried to promote peace and, and love mm-hmm. and unity and and were for yeah, it. I guess so.
0: I guess I guess that that could be the case, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean it's true, right? But can you I guess like explain the I guess the the rational framework for why you could correlate the transcend the the transcendent. Uh, somewhat, you know, a oneness experience we have in when having uh, psychedelics when using them, and the existence of an actual one monad conscious universe. Like how do well, that, you arise what, from that to that?
2: I, I think they're one and the same. I what I'm I guess what I'm trying to get at is that uh, there may be a mechanism in meditation that involves DMT. So what the psychedelic is doing when they're given to volunteers is basically mimicking that phenomenon. Uh, it's inducing something that we otherwise could access naturally. Uh, you know, so there may not be a difference there. Um, you know, I, I think uh, some people have the rejection towards psychedelics maybe because they see it as a shortcut. You know, they see it as, well, hey, wait a minute, you didn't do any of these spiritual disciplines, you just took a psychedelic. You know, mm-hmm. like you didn't engage in years and years of meditation or, or something like that. And the analogy I've once used is of um, a, a mountain climber who uses all their skill set to reach the top of the mountain, whereas some guy gets a helicopter ride to the peak, you know. And I think people uh, have this misperception or misconception that uh, the helicopter ride is, the you know, the psychedelic shortcut. Uh, Getting to the top and you can do all the work that this the mountain climber did, but um, I I don't know There's a there's a certain misconception about that because the experience itself is just as challenging. These are not fun experiences Um, You know, I think people another misconception people have is that people are going to take You know, psychedelics to have fun and that's true that with many people if you're taking recreational doses You don't want to take a high dose because you want to still attend the party. You still want to attend the concert you still want to be able to stand around and speak to your, it's, you know, have fun and enjoy yourself. And uh, with these higher doses, you're not going to be able to do any of that. You're basically be lying down on the ground for about 46 hours, mm-hmm. uh, immobilized. But,
0: yeah, but I'm still not seeing the connection, right? Like um, may- maybe it uh, it could lead to that, but it doesn't mean it is, right? Like, for example, um, you know, someone who could say that ultimate pain, right? Like suffering c- could give them an experience, like a mystical experience of this universal God of, you know, of pain. Like how, how did, I, it's, I, I don't think it really correlates there, but you know, it, can you explain a bit more how how you could actually direct from from uh, psychedelic experience to to a real one conscious pantheist God like?
2: Uh, well, let me see. I'm trying to understand your contention right there. Um, you because you mentioned pain and and you know pain. Uh, some uh, women who are giving birth naturally without any aid of uh, you know some pain-numbing agent, uh, they can, some, some of them will express mystical experience in the midst of giving birth at the heights of these pain, you know. Yeah, that, that's
0: what I'm talking about. But um, basically, um, we can make any connection with any phenomenological experience we have and, and call it evidence for God, but that doesn't mean it is, right? Like, how do you arrive from the study of this neuroscience of religion, and actually proving that this sort of God actually exists. Oh,
2: okay. I think I see what you're saying, and yeah. I, I think you kind of brought it up with your your when you mentioned the term pantheism. Um, you know, a lot of people must, have mistaken uh, Spinoza for a pantheist, that he was uh, saying that the entire uh, uh, entirety of nature, the cosmos, is is essentially synonymous with God, and. Um, that's not necessarily what Spinoza was talking about. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the idea of the absolute in philosophy, um, but you know, the, this notion is that um, every uh, permutation inside the physical reality or the universe uh, makes up the absolute so that, you know, every possibility uh, that the universe could produce, the very sum of that is considered the absolute. So. Even if you have, uh, for instance, a universe uh, that that begins and ends, um, you know, you could have a, a world rail, um, rail line where, uh, let's say, you have a universe where Elmo um, wins Elmo wins the lottery, right? Uh, whereas you could also have a universe where, where um, Elmo didn't win the lottery in his lifetime. Well, in the psychedelic state. You're, it's uh, there's a vision of kind of seeing all things. There was sh- the shaman woman from Mexico who introduced Gordon Wasson to mushrooms and the whole Western, uh, you know, a civilization or uh, a society to mushrooms. Uh, Maria Sabina, she said, uh, it takes you to a place where everything is known. And so the reason why people use the term like uh, not necessarily pantheist, but they would say panentheist. I don't know if you ever heard that term, but it means all in God. And so it's kind of um, like having an experience of all things. You know, the reason why people put characteristics of uh, godly or divine characteristics onto the experience is because, you know, they have a sense of eternality inside the experience. There's a sense of, of something being eternal. There's a sense of something having an infinite, unconditional love. These are all divine aspects, and so like uh, I, I think that's why they're applied, uh, or that's why the connection is made. Because, and and it's not necessarily a connection. Right? When you when you speak in terms of a connection, recall you're still speaking in like a subject-object dichotomy, a duality, whereas in this experience, all dualities collapse. You know, uh, differences, uh, life and death, light and dark. Uh, you know any conceivable duality uh, collapse in these experiences uh, mm-hmm. you know they're trans- transcendent that's I mean the reason they refer to as transcendent is is due to precisely what occurs and you know I, I, the I, I think it's kind of like a, a misnomer to say a divine connection uh, you know because people uh, refer to mysticism and if you read the definition of mysticism it talks about an absorption into the absolute or uh, a unity with the divine you know it it talks about this this uh this thing i've been referring to as the collapse of Mm -hmm. of, uh, the subject object yeah yeah
0: okay okay but can you i guess talk about what this thing is right? what this mode of consciousness is is it a personal God? Is it, what is its nature? Can you talk it, more about it?
2: Yeah, sure. If if you were to undergo this experience for yourself, let's say, Elmo, I've been, you know, I, I would like to see a, a, the Atheist experience where Matt Delahunty smokes some DMT, you know, and that's the episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, let's have an Elmo's podcast where Elmo, you just hear a bong rip and he's hitting some DMT. <laughs> um, you know, so like if you were to have this experience, you see, you know, the whole reason you know you'd love to have conversation with people is if you knew what they were going to say would you want to continue speaking to them (laughs) you know you you wouldn't Uh, in other words like let's say you were omniscient there would be no reason for me to speak because you would know every single word I'm going to say and so in these states there is this kind of omniscience there there is an intuitive uh, feeling that all everything has already been done you know like all action has taken place all time has already been un- unravelled. You know, uh, there is nothing. There is no reason to do anything because everything, in a sense, has already been done. And so, it's not. It's not something you would like to reside in. You don't want to stay in that state of mind. You know, um, it's. I think it's something that people temporarily, gl- temporarily glimpse in order to receive insight from. And so, like, uh, yeah, there is an omniscience there. There is a consciousness there that is all-knowing, uh, you know, uh, all-present. It possesses all these divine qualities, but you only will ever glimpse it in, inside these moments of mystical experience. And so uh, when you return, you know, you'll be very glad for your ignorance that you're not omniscient, That you know, because you, you wouldn't want to be. Uh, I don't think it, w- it would go against your humanness to possess something like omniscience because the whole point of being human is to have mystery in life you know um, to that's the whole point of having a podcast you, you never know what the speaker is going to say next i don't know what you're going to ask me next you know because uh, if we did it would be totally boring if you know if you were if you were uh, omniscient all the time you would be colossally bored in knowing everything and so you know i think it's interesting to get a glimpse of it and and so when you come back you have a, a renewed appreciation for life and everything, including ignorance. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's not like I said. It's not. It's not something easy to describe. You can interview me and many people about the psychedelic experience, and you may not get a clear answer that you're looking for. Uh, until you probably do this for yourself and and you may not you i don't think you're you seem like a person that's gonna go rushed to do psychedelics after this podcast but
0: well um, it's really illegal here so i'm going to be in prison for the rest of my life if i take that but maybe when i uh, move to america bro maybe then
2: maybe i mean it's, <laughs> Ill- it's illegal over here too but I, I had to you know jump that fence of a Ill- legality to in order to do it but uh, they are, there is an effort to make it legalized. Like I said, uh, right now there's, they're recruiting people for, if anyone's listening to this podcast, they're recruiting people for depression, uh, no, not Alzheimer's, um, anorexia, uh, people who are dealing with uh, uh, nicotine addiction. Um, all those studies are currently going on at Johns Hopkins right now. You can uh, definitely uh, call in and volunteer. They're, they will screen you. But if you're accepted into the study, you know they will dose. They'll give you a single high dose that's supposed to, you know, cure de- your depression or uh, cure your anorexia and so forth. They've had a lot of efficacy with these studies, and and um, they're trying to push for le- uh, legality. So once they finish all this research, you know, the next step is to actually legalize psilocybin.
0: Interesting. Okay, I, but I guess, you know, you mentioned addiction, but there is a danger to using psychedelics, right? Especially yes, definitely, when, man. Yeah.
2: No, yes, yes. Uh, I I would never tell anyone just to willy-nilly just go out and take psychedelics. The first place, like even Terrence would say the first uh, stop before your psychedelic trip is, you know, the internet or the library, you know, go inform yourself about all the risks involved. You know, if you're seriously thinking about doing something like that and you know there is real risk i mean people are part of the pilot study at johns hopkins to this day are seeing psychiatric help because they had such a hellish experience you know i'm speaking of a, a literal hell your mind could produce a very literal hellish experiences at the heights of these psychedelics uh, you mm. know experiences so it's not something that you just want to rush into uh, it, it it may be uh, scarring like emotionally scarring psychologically scarring Uh, uh, about 30% of the volunteers do uh, say that they have a very, very bad trip. And, you know, I mean, it's a low percentage, but it's still a a considerable percentage to look out for, you know. And, Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I really, uh, they say, they also call the height of this experience ego death, you know. And it's not necessarily that your ego permanently dies. It's a temporary ego death, but, um a lot of people have uh, trouble relinquishing ego or control. You know, they don't want to relinquish uh, mm-hmm. control or their uh, egoic uh, volition. And that's precisely what dissolves inside these experiences, you know, and you can't hold on. It's mm-hmm. like uh, trying to hold on to sand when you're, you know, in uh, quicksand or something. It's, there's nothing to hold on to. Uh, Everything, uh, reality as you know it, uh, is completely transformed in the very same way that a butterfly, you know, caterpillar is transformed into a butterfly. You know, there's a complete, you know, profound transformation of consciousness. Uh, So, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, there is, I I just want to emphasize the risk. Like, there there is risk involved. And, and, yeah, yeah, anyone looking to do this, uh, please inform yourself before uh, you attempt any of this.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, well, uh, let me ask you this, right? Like, so you said that, and you, if I, I can only understand the, what this experience is, if I actually do it because it's hard to describe right but uh yes. in, in your experience can you at least attempt like so what realizations do you have after having these mystical experiences like can you at least at least put them in simple words that oh because having this experience uh mystical experience i can say that there is this we are just one you know what 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 kind of descriptions would you apply
2: yeah, well, you know, for me, I, at least, I will just speak for myself. But it's done for me because um, I used to, like I said, I used to be an agnostic atheist, and and I would I was reading all you know Sword and Kicker Nietzsche. I was reading all these different books on atheism until I got uh, introduced to people like Terence McKenna, Alan Watts, um, and so, you know, a lot of uh, uh, rhetoric and a lot of uh, criticism I've heard from. Atheist. And when I used to be an atheist, I used to think of God as this omniscient being, you know, the, the stereotypical bearded man and, you know, that resides outside of the universe. People would actually say, you know, God is outside of the universe as though there's a bearded man that stands outside of the continuum that is the universe. And I no longer think of it that way. I would, um, When a mystic refers to the outside of the universe, they're not referring to some type of outside of the continuum. What they mean by having a perception that's outside of space and time is a perception that's inclusive of all space and time, and so there is no necessarily something that's outside of the continuum itself. Uh, God is seen as not as some entity that stands outside of it, but a a consciousness that's inclusive that that Mm -hmm. encompasses all things. Um, I I developed uh, an interpretation towards that. And, and many people who who have had psychedelics uh, end up with an interpretation like that. They are, are a type of uh, perspective um, towards, I, I know you said simplify it, <laughs> you, you know, like I, I'm not too sure anyone could really coin the perfect metaphor, man. I, and I wish it could be coined. I think one of the reasons why it's such a difficult topic to speak on is because, uh, you know, these terms contain so much baggage that, uh, in order to get to any clear understanding, you first have to sh- uh, shred away. You have to uh, shred away all the the baggage that are associated with the terms, all the preconceived notions that you have. I think I would have to slash away at them first before we can arrive at some simplified uh, notion of it. And and, I, and even then, like I said, um, I, I don't necessarily think it, it it is something that could be wordified. Uh, I think it is something that necessarily must be experienced. Uh, that um, that words fell and, and you know, that's, that was Terrence McKenna's phrase because he, he was, I don't know if you've heard him speak, this guy was a wordsmith, a master of words, and yet, you know, uh, I mean, if he, if he couldn't put it into words, I, I don't know if anyone can, man. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I'll try my best to, to get to something uh, along the conversation, but uh, I'm really not too sure that's a possible feat, I will say that
0: mm-hmm, okay, okay, well, okay, let's talk about like more um morality. Because you know, I there there's a huge leap between astrology and all this stuff with with metaphysics and what the universe is and th- this God that you're talking about, right? But uh, can you tell me, I guess, your the moral framework that you use uh, in your daily life, right? And, sure. All right. Okay.
2: I I think it has a really profound effect on morality, like uh, you know. One of the things I've noticed after I had my initial experience was um, I was no longer able to uh, to even harm insects to kill. Like I used to like before this experience, I would if there was a fly in the house, I would swat it dead, you know. And ever after the experience, I found myself uh, like leading insects out the door, you know, like letting them fly out instead of me killing them. Um, I, not I mean not just that. That's minuscule. That's a minuscule example, but I mean in glimpsing. Uh, You know, inside the experience, you glimpse an unconditional love for all people and things. Once you've seen that, it's kind of hard to unsee that. You know, like I had the impression that the entire world was emotionally asleep. And I still believe it is. I I think we're a species that's emotionally asleep. And um, I... Now that I've returned to the baseline, um, I have the in my memory banks that experience of having this unconditional, infinite love for all people and things. And so that, even though I, I am no mystic, I would never claim to be a mystic. And I, while I, uh, I'm not some kind of moral paragon, or, you know, um, I, I do in my life, it has affected me in the sense that I'm more patient um, you know, I, I have infinite patience, in fact, and, you know, I, I, I don't find myself getting angry as often or, you know, I, I, in times to uh, express compassion, I, I'm, I am always willing and, and able to do it. You know, I, I think it's profoundly affected my moral compass and how I see morality mm-hmm. and, and even the source of morality. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so, I, so I really okay. People- so
0: I guess you, you, I mean, this the sort of scale that you presented. It's more of just a virtue ethics, I guess that 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 you're following. That to be a good person, you know, to to do what is right, honesty, uh, yes. compassion. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah.
2: I I can no longer. I can't keep secrets. So don't tell me any secrets. I can no longer lie. I can no longer. I have to be truthful. Mm. Um, it's all those things have become virtues in my life and they do work, you know, like, uh, you know, prior to that, even white lies, uh, I would mm. always try to get away with, uh, now I, I don't lie at all. I, mm. I don't find any, I don't see any oh, point to but, it. But
0: okay. But why, okay. But why, I guess like, why do you not lie? Is it because uh, like it's part of your nature or is it because there's some rule book that you're following?
2: Well, um, no, you know, like, like I said, in that experience, like. I don't know I guess there's this sense of uh like I said the, you know when when you have these experiences you kind of get a glimpse of all things like and I and I there is this like sense of everything being laid out on the table like you're being judged on every single action that you've ever done mm-hmm. in your entire life
0: you know Interesting
2: and and so like um I so I can no longer do something even if I think no one is looking because I know that in a sense God is looking because there is that that sense there, that all things mm-hmm. have happened, that, that all things can be seen, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, um, e- even even if I know no one's gonna find out, I still can't commit the the sin, you know. So I guess, uh, because, I guess, the,
0: I guess, there's nothing logical about it, but more of just something that ar- arises from this experience. That something you could call yeah, like an enlightenment, Or, or even right? if my
2: my friend, like, uh, if you remember the the frozen block, you know, if mm-hmm. if we die and our, our life is going to be stretched out into this frozen block where you can see from past to end. I don't want to leave behind an imprint on the block where it's just vile and, and sinful. You know, I want to leave an imprint that was... But why? Uh, ...virtuous. I... Well, yeah, why? That's, a, I, I, that's where I've been led by the experience itself. Mm-hmm. I, I... like You know what I mean? like I, in, Like, glimpsing infinite unconditional love. While I've only had that experience, I will say, once or, you know, throughout uh, maybe a decade of using psychedelics, um, I, 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 that's something that I cannot erase from the memory banks, man. It's, uh, it's influenced me to this day uh, to be inclined to. Mm-hmm. It's almost as though I think, like, if, this, if it's at all the case that, you know, these mystical experiences are um, universal – uh, you know, the Hindus had a very interesting view on, on them. They saw them mm-hmm. as not just being uh, exclusive to human beings on one planet, they saw myriads of untold amounts of worlds and universes where sentient beings arise to come to this conclusion where they can have these visions and see the totality of the entire fabric of reality oh, yeah
0: but let's talk about you like know? evolution for a moment right like so sure. what kind of evolution do you believe do you believe it it actually like occurred for billions of years do you think it was like th- guided by some intelligence
2: yeah, yeah i i'm no i'm in line with uh, uh you know the, i guess the modern evolutionist take on uh, our history. I, I do. I don't necessarily say it's devoid of intelligence. Obviously, you know, uh, we're the product of. If you believe in a, evolution, we're the product of billions and billions of years of evolution. Or, I mean, if you consider the entire universe, of course, uh, if you consider the planet, then, you know, the planet's only been around for... What do
0: you a, mean you it's know, not It's not devoid of intelligence? Like, you know, when I say it's intelligently designed, it, it would entail like this personal God actually intended things to occur and you not know, by accidental or natural selection, uh, kind of a biological evolution. So where where do you stand on it?
2: I, man, I, I believe the complexity in nature is, you know, the intelligence of it. You know, the, the like you can't. But it's
0: not directed by some god out there. It's just accidental. Well,
2: yeah. I, I if, when you say directed by some god, like, uh, you know, like, um, you know, there's this subject-object break apart that I that comes to mind. Where mm-hmm. I, I don't see God as some entity. Like I, that's what I was trying to say earlier. Like some bearded yeah, yeah, yeah. entity. Yeah that's okay some, but, like but it, i guess
0: but in terms of the the typical you know god created the heavens and the earth it, that kind of god it, it's not that but more of this yeah. mo- monad but it's not really a, how do we define as intelligent like i guess we could def- if in your definition intelligent could be anything uh, complex right like how our consciousness is bi- biologically complex uh, that would be your definition. So that's how you define you define evolution as being intelligently designed, I guess?
2: Yes. Like uh, the intelligence, insin- uh, within. it's contained somehow within the, the, the mm-hmm. nature itself. You know? Yeah, like yeah. The, it's, uh, it, within the atoms, within the... What, how, I mean, like uh, a scientific mind person or an atheist might see mm-hmm. gravity and so forth. You know, they might see all these things at play. Whereas uh, someone like Spinoza or Meister Eckhart uh, mm-hmm. sees the the entirety of the cosmos, uh, the divine workings of God. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, mm-hmm. the, the very uh, uh, the very workings of the cosmos is uh, the, mm. the, the divine creativity. But I guess, is, but,
0: but I guess, part of the essence of this intelligence is it also it also includes some trial and error processes, right? It's not that like guided perfectly. You know,
2: well, I mean, that's uh, you see, that's been one of the reasons I mentioned like the, the, the ego death theory is because there is a sense in that where there is not necessarily because you can only have, uh, I mean, you could have trial and error, but uh, if you consider something like predetermination, you know, there's only one way things are going to unfold throughout mm-hmm. history, uh, you know, one specific way, uh, and uh, it, you know, it kind of leads to, I don't know if you, uh, I'm pretty sure you delve into co- topics of free will and no free will in mm-hmm. your podcasts. I don't, I don't know what's your take on that. But uh, you know, are you a compatibilist? Are you uh, Do you believe we have free will?
0: Yeah, uh, I'm a libertarian f- free will guy. But um, know, right. it's, let's not talk about me. I want to know. I guess your sure. Position no, no, no. On we that. don't
2: have to. I, I just, I, I, that's why I just wanted to ask you only because I consider myself a compatibilist, but I also do a lot of atheists, and you know, it's kind of a. Uh, I, I guess it's it sees free will as compatible with uh, pre, predetermination um, that they're both occurring simultaneously but uh, if you were to consider something like predetermination uh, you know the the intelligence of the universe uh, or God or they also refer to it in religion as God's will that everything that, that occurs is God's will it's still only one way that that anything can happen um, that is a uh, uh, that is one sense you get from, from taking psychedelics. A lot of mystics have that too. I think that's why they developed things like um, uh, there is a, a theologian, uh, I can't recall his name uh, Calvinism, Calvinism. John Calvin. I don't know if you've heard of Calvinism, but you know he had this notion that uh, you know, that everything was predetermined that uh, people who live uh, were destined to go to hell and uh, because of their life and or they were destined to go to heaven. And it was etched in stone. And, you know, I, I, I really believe that uh, these types of ideas uh, probably arose through, uh, I'm not sure if Calv- uh, John Calvin had any type of mystical experiences, but uh, he may have studied mystics who had. And that's how, you know, these ideas uh, come to fruition, I think, is... is uh, because they are glimpsed in these type of experiences. you can glimpse where you know all time and all mm-hmm. past and future have already mm-hmm. happened. They're they're mm-hmm. done already.
0: Okay, but I guess you know, all, everything that I've got from you, bro. You know, I, I I seem it seems to me that every every wisdom and um, knowledge or truth claim that you proposed sort of came from these experiences, these mystical experiences that you've had from psychedelics and DMT and drugs.
2: Yes, no, I, I, I agree. And uh, but I mean, I would also add that, you know, if you take this, uh, you know, the perennial philosophy seriously, all uh, wisdom uh, comes from these mystical experiences from any religion you point to, you know, whether you're talking about Plato or if you're talking about Siddhartha Gautama, what they're ultimately pointing to is the wisdom derived from these experiences. Like, uh, for instance, uh, you're probably familiar with the, you know, the Holy Trinity. Um, in a mystic's interpretation uh, of the Holy Trinity, the Son is the conduit, you know, of the, basically the man or woman uh, who receives insight into the nature of the Father. The Father not being some paternalistic being, or you know, like some bearded entity, uh, some literal father. But rather, the Father is a term that uh, early Christian mystics would use to refer to uh, the, f- the philosophical absolute, and they would gain insight of the absolute by way of, the, by means of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit being the mystical experience. This is a, a mystics' interpretation of, of the Trinity, you know. And and it completely, I mean, when you consider mystical experiences, I think some things like the Trinity be, make complete sense. They become completely clear. Whereas without it, you're kind of left uh, very confused. You know, the Trinity can be very, um, you know, you can go into very deep uh, apologetics uh, surrounding the Trinity and never really get a clear idea of what it's about if you don't consider a mystical experience.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, good. So I can ask you this, like, um, if the, this perennial philosophy... Uh, basically, sources from the psychedelics, you know, and th- these mystical experiences. So, if so, are you suggesting that like everyone who wishes to understand the nature of reality and the answers to life's meaning and whatnot, they should take DMT and realize God? Is th-
2: th- I, I, in a way, in a way, yes. I mean, if you if you're really concerned about like uh, if you really find the nature of reality t- intriguing at all, you know, mm-hmm. our, you know, if atheists are constantly, you know, demand theists, d- uh, you know, show your evidence, uh, demonstrate God for us, right?
1: Well, mm-hmm.
2: I think of an atheist is worth his salt, and if they really wanted to ascertain that question, if they really wanted to challenge their atheism, yes, I mean, DMT would be one way to do it. Uh, <clears throat> okay. it, it could definitely do that.
0: Awesome. So, so I hope that one day, like when you're in a, in a in a debate, like you, you bring some DMT for your opponent and oh, actually, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man you could use this and I'll prove to you that I'm right. You know, <laughs> but yeah, anyway, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that would be awesome. Well, you right? see that's the
2: problem, man. You that's the problem with calling into <laughs> the atheist experience. You can't give Matt Dillard- you
0: a- <laughs> TNT a over the phone, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Can I ask you more about um the specifics of your epistemology? Right. So epistemology is a, is a, basically you know the the knowing things and how yes. how you know things. So when it comes to this, it's more. It's I would define define it as some sort of revelation because it. It's not really something that's already there, right? But when you when you, when we're talking about the ex- mystical experiences, but how would you define it?
2: Well, in the research, I mean, you know, of course, epistemology is important. Um, there is this talk surrounding the William James term that I mentioned, the noetic quantity.
0: Mm-hmm. and
2: or it's also called the nos in, in uh, Greek, uh, but it is the way they come to know, or I don't know if you've heard the term "gnosis" in Greek, Uh, "Gnosis" means a fundamental unity with that that which is fundamental in reality, or the monad, the one, the source, and, um, you know, a lot of people will ask, you know, I've been in a lot of debates with atheists and they say, well, how 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 do people know this has any form of knowledge, any form of truth? Um, I really believe that derives in this uh, aspect of the experience where you have this non dualism, the collapse of the subject object. Um, you know, it's, it's something universal, it's something that we all can experience. Because if you're going to say otherwise, if let's say you're going to argue, um, you're going to try to argue that there is no um, valid uh, source in this experience for any type of epistemology, right? Then uh, you have to argue then that the mystical experience is a lie at the core of human consciousness, that you know that we all have the potential to have to um, ultimately have this experience that is a lie to ourselves. And I don't think that's the case at all. I, I think uh, you can see, you can find. Uh, I mean, research has shown that these experiences have ha- happened across millennia, across cultures, you know, uh, throughout history, and so. Um, Uh, I I really doubt that we have something embedded in our evolution uh, where, you know, it's at the core, at the center, it's a lie. And that's not at all how they're talked about in the research either. I mean, people describe these experiences as the clearest of the clearest, the sharpest of the sharpest. You know, it's the one moment they had uh, a clear understanding of where their place is is within the cosmos. And so I I really think they are about truth. And um, the... the noose or non-duality—I mean, it's 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 where I think the source of the knowledge comes from, or where you can gain confidence in your epistemology. But uh, it's also something—it's it's also the, one of the hardest aspects of the experience to describe. And and um, I'm always trying to sharpen my ability to, um, you know, uh, broaden my vocabulary, uh, read read up on all the uh, comparative religion and uh, scriptures and so forth of all the major religions, even the obscure ones that many people don't hear about nowadays, like in Manichaeism, I don't know if uh, you've heard of that religion, but, um, you know, uh, I, I try my best to, to articulate it as best as I can, but at the same time, uh, like I said, I don't think anyone has coined the perfect metaphor uh, and I think that's—I think that the whole effort of language is to do that. I, I think as long as we're not straight with our terms and uh, everything remains ambiguous, uh, we're going to have a very hard time defining these things. But I think the effort that we're in, involved with right now, your podcast and so forth, is an effort to make these things more clear.
1: And mm-hmm. so, yeah, that's
2: why I, I really like what you do, man. That's why I wanted to participate. Uh, cause I, I like the ongoing dialogue. I like, uh, I, like I said, when you caught me this morning, I was, I was already listening to one of your podcasts.
0: Awesome. Uh, <laughs> yeah I, I i really love doing this it's like you know i learn something every day even if it's uh exhausting sometimes but you know after the interview i've always feel that it, it, this thing is worth what, what i'm doing <laughs> and um I, and man i really love talking to you and i want to ask you one last question right? so uh if you were to give uh advice to anyone who who would be willing to take the DMT and um, what do, What should they expect? Uh, what should they do if they realize something? Where should they go? I guess go, it means that what resources should they visit in order to dive deeper into this stuff?
2: Sure. All right. Uh, I know, of course, you know, if you type in um, uh Google uh, psychedelics and risk. You, you're going to get plenty of information. But there's another website I would recommend called Erowid, e-r-o-w-i-d.com. They have plenty of uh, resources for uh, people who are, uh, you know, uh, considering taking these things. One thing, I mean, one thing I would mention or emphasize here uh, is that has been uh, working in the in the research. Uh, they emphasize set and setting. So, you know, set is basically your mindset that you go into these things. You don't want to be severely depressed uh, doing this by yourself, unless you're going into Johns Hopkins where you have professionals around you and, you know, medical professionals that are there to make sure nothing goes wrong. Um, I wouldn't recommend doing it by yourself if you're depressed. Uh, Or, you know, you don't want to do these things at a third-story building, you know, on the rooftop, (laughs) of course. So uh, the setting, the set in mind uh, refers to mindset, and setting refers to your environment. You want to be somewhere safe. You want to be near people you trust, because, like I said, you're not going to be able to move much in these experiences. You're going to be immobilized. Even in the research, um, they don't make people s- lay on hospital beds. You know, cold hospital beds. They make them lay on a couch, uh, in a kind of uh, living room-like setting, and uh, they will, well, they will remain there for the next about six to eight hours. And so, um, uh, if you have a bed, if you have a couch, that's even better if you want to lay on the floor, uh, uh, have, you know, like I said, people you trust, brothers, uh, maybe a, your wife or someone like that. Uh, you might want to, if you have kids, you might want to, uh, 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 take a day off, uh, get some babysitters <laughs> or something, but, uh, you know, uh, there's lots of things you could do to prepare, uh, but definitely I would, I would reiterate, uh, what Terence said. Your first stop should be Google or the library. You know, uh, inform yourself of the risks uh, before you take up uh, this type of challenge. And you know, I, I wouldn't recommend DMT uh, for first-timers. Um, I, I would definitely recommend mushrooms instead. But uh, if you're if you want to if you're one of the, if you're intrepid and you want to dive right in, uh, then yeah, DMT would, would definitely get you there.
0: Awesome, awesome. Well, um, uh, Jimmy, it's been awesome talking to you, bro, and um, I hope you enjoyed the conversation, too. And um, yeah, man, thanks for coming on the podcast. Hey, I
2: appreciate it, brother, anytime, man. And, you know, um, I'm going to try to do some stuff on my own. If I come up with anything, because I have a YouTube channel, but I haven't added to it lately. But if I do, I would definitely send you a link, brother. And I did finish the the recent episode with Max Freakout, if you want to check that out.
0: Awesome. Okay. Uh, bye, bro. It's been awesome.
2: Yeah. Peace, peace, brother. Thank you.
0: So that's the end of it. Thanks for tuning in, guys. This is your host, Elmo Ador Jr. And thank you for listening in. And please subscribe. Please follow us on Facebook. Please, please follow this. Please. Thanks. Thank If you're a movie collector, you need Movies Anywhere. It pulls your favorite purchase movies from participating digital retailers into one central place. So you can finally say goodbye to scattered movie collections and hello to an organized library. With Movies Anywhere, you can watch your favorite movies on any compatible device whenever and wherever you want. Ready to grow and enjoy your digital collection? Visit moviesanywhere.com slash welcome and register for free. Registration with Movies Anywhere required. Open to U.S. residents 13 and over.
1: golfing and more invest in yourself with tech made to crush goals holidays open up with galaxy shop it all at samsung.com 5g connection and availability may vary check with carrier products sold separately